If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swantoski. I'm the owner of Trout Bitten and the author of TroutBitten.com. All right, my friends, this podcast is about wading a river. Good wading. Better wading. Confident wading. Because for a river angler, I believe nothing is more important. Let me start at the beginning. I grew up playing in the watery ravine across the road and over the hill from my childhood home. And though I badly wished for trout in that small valley, there were none. But the small stream did hold everything I'd ever need to know about currents in a river. In a small format that matched my size, I learned about wading through moving water. And because I learned this early, I now wade easily in my middle age and I'm confident that I'll be wading rivers until my time in these valleys is finished. There are three main things that hold anglers back from covering water. Casting skill, physical fitness, and wading ability. In some ways, all three of these are intertwined. The best casts are enabled by placing yourself in excellent positions. And confident wading only happens if you're in good enough shape to stand up to the current. But wading is a skill. It's not brute strength but an artful balance. It's a combination of preparation, reading water, and thoughtful positioning. Case in point here. One of the best anglers I've ever met is also the oldest gentleman I've ever guided. At 87, Joe glided through the river. He was slower than most, but more stable. He waded what he could handle and left the rest. With excellent discipline, Joe mostly tight-lined his nymphs at short range, wading and moving through pockets and chutes. He often ended up in water where you'd never expect to see a man of 80-plus years standing and fishing. I've guided 20-something college athletes that couldn't wade in such places. But because Joe employed all the elements of a good wader, he excelled. And we're going to cover many of these fundamentals tonight. So I watched Joe in the river 
comfortable and having fun all day long. And he'd done that for a long time. And importantly, although Joe might have moved slowly, he was almost always moving. Now, that kind of waiting we're talking about is not just walking from place to place, because good fly fishing requires great footwork along the way. I meet a lot of anglers who approach a river all wrong, in my opinion. They wade into a spot, set up, and then cast to every piece of water they can reach at all angles before picking up and waiting again to repeat the process. But this is rarely the best approach. Consider the variables. There's a distance at which you are most accurate. There's a light angle that is most advantageous. There's a certain water type where trout are feeding more agreeably. So the best river anglers move almost constantly, setting themselves up to best approach the next great piece of water. As wading anglers, we must wade efficiently. It's that simple. Casting over a pod of consistently rising trout is the exception to the rule. And if that's your game, then ignore my advice and stay put. But in most situations, being mobile is the better approach. And I do mean constantly moving. Remember Joe. If you could watch this 87-year-old man fish today, you'd see that his feet are rarely static. Joe glides, he shuffles, he nudges over 12 inches into the neighboring seam to set up his next cast. And in the course of 10 minutes, he might wade through an entire run. He's probably picked up a few fish along the way, too. Joe doesn't extend his range beyond the distance necessary, and he doesn't beat up one spot. Instead, Joe's motion puts him constantly over fresh fish, and he casts at the best angles. He's honestly one of the most efficient anglers I've ever seen. If this concept of constant motion is new to you, then it will take sincere effort to break the old habits of locking your feet to the riverbed for long lengths of time. Fishing habits are harder than most to break. But good wading skills changes the game like nothing else. When you are comfortable and confident in the water, when you can easily move to the other side just because the light angles are better, the river opens up in a whole new way. So, that's what we're here to talk about tonight. The trout picking guys are with me and ready to walk through some of our best wading tips. This advice is born from experience, from many, many mistakes and fall-ins from each of us. From learning the hard way and then coming out the other side into the clear, all of us as better anglers, because we were stubborn enough to do what is necessary to be a good wader. I promise you, nothing makes fishing a river more enjoyable than confident wading. And honestly, That's where it all starts. All right, here are my trout bitten friends, and I'm keeping the introductions short again this week, guys. But hey, for each of you, how about telling us the last time you fell in? And I know it can't be too long ago, right? All right, so Matt Grobe, what do you have? I would say I fell in about three weeks ago. Uh, At that time, it was still lots of snow on the banks out here, which at that time I was more hesitant to allow my, I I was fishing on the bank very large number of odd boulders, which causes tricky mm. footing. And usually yeah. you're giving uh, yourself some more support with an arm on the bank, like, re- you yeah. know what I mean? Stabilizing. I think sometimes that's important when you're in some tricky terrain, but because the snow was there, I was being a PAP uh, and I didn't want to get my, my hand on the boulder with the snow. And so I neglected to secure the proper, you know, stabilization and did a <laughs> head in right, you know, face first, 38 degree water. Yeah. And, uh, 
I tell you, man, that's you want to talk about shocking. That's <laughs> that's the that's the shocking fall in for me is winter. Like summer, I don't care. You're right. You know. Right. Right. We'll get into it. I mean, I can talk about stuff. I, I actually encourage people to jump in and see what that feels like with a waiting belt. Sure. Because it, it gives you confidence when you understand mm. you got some time before your waiters truly fill up with a waiting belt. Oh, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't like doing it in the winter, and I did a couple weeks ago. No. <laughs> that is face first. That's a real fall. Face in. first. You know, and luckily I didn't smash my face off a rock. That's the, you know. That's true. Yeah, but I'm here. So it's all good. <laughs> it is. Hey, Josh, when's uh, when's your last fall in? Josh Darling. Hi. So I've had a I've had some minor ones, but the last time that I really went into the water, I think was around October. And wow, uh, that's a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, but You're I have stable. Yeah. Well, you know this guy. It's all know. those push-ups and squats. Yeah, that's right. What, what waiting that's boots right. do you have, son? Seriously, uh, <laughs> only the G fours, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, so I think I think the last time I was really underwater was was October, and it was uh, in in shallow water on a river that I fish all the time on a stretch that I fish all the time. And I remember walking through the water and thinking, so so it. I will say, it was up and off color, off color enough mm-hmm. that I could not see the bottom. Yeah, and I was walking, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I know this stretch, and I know that this is flat. I don't need to worry about anything. Mm-hmm. And so I was walking upstream, legitimately, like thinking about the fact that I don't need to worry about anything <laughs> because I know this water is flat. Like I know that yeah. this is flat. And so, but there's a rock that was not large enough to disturb the surface at all, but large enough that I did not clear it. And I was walking with enough fervor that I caught it and, and ate it pretty good. Um, tried to, I actually, actually like messed up my left wrist for a, for a couple months. Ooh, doing that yeah i kind of remember that yeah i remember you talking yeah. about that it wasn't bad enough that i couldn't use it but it was bad enough no that I complained about it yep so you went under yeah well yeah half right. under yeah yeah well that's what a real fall in is yeah. not that you're yeah, yeah completely under yeah water water in the waders clothes there wet. you go yep. that's a fall in yeah uh yesterday joey and i fished a stocked stream and um just for some fun and man they were eager it was it was, it was a blast and I put both arms down. I started tripping. And water was up pretty good. I'm in the middle and it was kind of slick, whatever. And I got pushed around. You know how you kind of crouch down and you kind of put your arms in the water? And I didn't even touch anything, but I just kind of stabilized myself with, with the arms. Hmm. And I almost went to the top of my waders, but I didn't go over. And I was up to my <laughs> elbows. You know, I had long sleeves on. So now, whatever, I'm dripping. And I come out and I kind of splashed my face a little bit too. But I, and Joey's like, oh, you fell in. I'm like, no, no, no. That wasn't a fall in. <laughs> I didn't. No, no, no I didn't fall in. No, really. But I, I don't know. That, that's what I'm saying. Like that's that kind of. I'm not going to say every day, but probably that happens to all of us eh, once a week. You know, if if you're fishing every day, that happens pretty commonly. But those real fall ins. Bill Dell, when's your latest fall? It's been a knock on wood. It's been a, a long time. Get up. Yeah, since true fall in. The most recent memorable, I would say, fall is when uh, it was either last, uh, maybe two springs ago. I was fishing. Come on. All right. He's kicked off. This guy, you haven't been fishing enough. (laughs) No. No. This guy's kicked off. No. Two years. Guys, I've been following him for two years. Yep. I'm going to come home just so I can tackle you into the stream. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Throw me in the river. That's nuts, Bill. 
You haven't been fishing that river yet. That river you fished the other day. You haven't been fishing that enough because I give it time. You'll yeah. eat eat oh, shit yeah. on that river. The big boy. The oh, big yeah. boy river. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've gone in over my head there twice, but um, yeah, the last last great. memorable one. I would I was brook trout fishing, and I I wouldn't even call it a <laughs> I wouldn't even call it like a thing. <laughs> right. You know, I was hopping rocks. And I hopped, I hopped the rock, you know, feeling young and energetic and decided mm. I would just hop up on this rock and it had all this nice green moss on it, which is usually good footing. Mm-hmm. And I jumped up on it and my, you know, my boot slid off the giant chunk of moss slid off. My feet went straight up in the air and I went down on my ass and spiked my reel into a rock and shattered the bottom part of the mm. reel. That's a catastrophe. Yeah, that's a, that was a nasty one. I will say one thing about mm. that. It, it, in a way, it doesn't surprise me because we were when we were all waiting together the other day. Yeah, and I was trying to keep up with waiting upstream with Bill, and I consider myself to like be pretty good at waiting, pretty fit. Yeah. like have somewhat strong hip flexors. You know, like I, <laughs> I feel really good in the water. You know, and and it was wild. I, mean, I was like burning keeping up with Bill. I was like, this is this is painful. The pace that he's walking is when we were walking back up to the, it's when it's when we were walking back to the cars, and so we weren't like moving at a fishing pace. We were moving at a let's get back to the cars pace. You know, see, everybody's good at least one thing. Yeah, I can I can walk through water. Well, Bill's good at getting back to the car. <laughs> I think our local river, like yeah. the the big one, yeah, it'll make you a right. good waiter, whether yeah. you want to or not, or you're yeah. not going to fish. It'll train and you. So, yeah. And it, yeah, I don't, I, 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 yeah. I mean, I still, whatever. I, that's crazy. Though. I bet you have a lot more two things that I'd lot. call a fall in. Yeah. He's saying two years. I bet there's a lot more. You have a lot of, a lot more minor fall ins than that, though, right, Bill? Arm goes down. Don't question Surefoot Billy. There you no. go. Surefoot Billy. Go. Surefoot Billy. No, no I, I, I don't know. I guess that's it. Matt. Me- meanwhile, Dell's got an innovative, uh, foot sole that nobody knows about that for yeah we're gonna hear about corkers. that yeah, yeah, corkers. corkers yeah <laughs> see if you'd all wear right. corkers like i do you wouldn't all have right no so problem. bill fishes a lot doesn't fall in and we'll hear his secrets in a minute whatever <laughs> this guy let's go <laughs> i'm waiting for him to go well last week two weeks ago whatever i fell in uh, hey. i'll have a story in two weeks when i you know i go oh we're, we're cups all into the river yeah, we're all pushing you in. We'll ha- we're, we're like jinxing them next week. We just build Dell off mm-hmm. the podcast. No one ever heard from him again. No. <laughs> Slipped and hit his head on a rock. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm tripping him. Hey, let's do a question. Uh, listener question. I chose just one that was, this, this is timely. This one fits right into our topic, and it came in from Rob on Instagram. Trevor's not here. He's our designated reader, but he had surgery. So he's not here. Doc had surgery. Surgery on the schnoz. Hockey fight. Yep. Anyway. Uh, surgery. <laughs> and Snosh. Austin is what? In Sweden. Is that where he is? Austin's in Sweden? No, he's somewhere in Europe. Somewhere in Europe. Eating he's the only real, and drinking he's wine. The, yeah, he's the only real fly fisherman in PA that decided to leave during the best time to fish. <laughs> in May, Austin takes a vacation. Okay. So anyway, Trevor's not here. So who's going to read it? I got it. I'm, I got it. Matt Grove with the read Let's of go. Uh, Rob's question. All right. Hey, Dom, I learned a lot on our guided trip last year, and I remember one of the things you told me was to keep moving. I feel like that approach has been really working for me because I catch more fish and cover water, as you say. But 
Sorry, guys. That's my daughter. We're <laughs> leaving that oh, in. Keep that in. Yeah. Okay. Get her closer to the mic. Did it break? Yep. Let's say hi real quick. Okay, Let's see listen. Her. These are all my friends. Okay. Say so we're talking trout. This is Madison. This is Madison. Say named yeah. after the Madison. That's all right. Say hi. Hi, Madison. Can you hi. say hi? Nope. Nope. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> she says that guy's missing a tooth. Yeah. Hey, shut up. Yeah, she's like, what is that guy? <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, listen, I'll be back. I'll be out in a little bit, okay? <laughs> she's like, why is dad? She found out the last year and a half. Why the hell is dad in the closet? I found him. <laughs> she's like, where did, why does dad always run errands? Why does anyway, he? Do you know yeah. where I stopped? That's, I think I stopped. But I ran that. into a video clip. Okay. All right. Reset. Mm-hmm. But I ran into this video clip from George Daniel where he says the cardinal sin of fly fishing is to move while you cast. He says he hates to watch people moving while casting and that fishermen should never do it. I feel like you told me the opposite. I know you and George are both good at what you do. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Maybe you could use this as a podcast question because it would be neat to hear from the other trout bitten guys as well. I bet everyone has a different answer. Right on. There you go. That's applicable, right? I mean, it's right into our topic. Hmm. He's saying, I think what George is saying is, yes. while you're in the act of casting, don't wade. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, move your feet consistently, but not necessarily while in the act of casting. I think that's a good breakdown. I think it's a good point. And yeah. I overall agree with that. Well... But I don't completely agree with that. I actually cast quite a bit while I'm moving, depending on depending on the tactic mm-hmm. that I'm doing. Yeah. And I often recommend to people, for example, if they're streamer fishing, you can move while you cast. You can move while you strip. And uh, you can move while you're fishing that dry fly. I do that quite a bit. After I wrote this layout and, and put this question in there, I've been fishing twice. And I realized I, I'm doing this a lot. I'm casting and fishing dries. Or I should say, uh, I'm casting and drifting while I'm fishing the dries. I was fishing an indie rig with a nine foot leader and, you know, mending fly line and stuff. And while I'm doing that, I can move. Now, I'm not taking three foot steps, but I'm moving, I'm shuffling. So I got a ton of respect for George Daniel. I know you guys all do, and we all know him. George has got great ideas. And I actually saw this clip on Instagram, and I went looking after Rob sent this to me. I went looking for the full video and maybe there is more because like you said bill i bet george's point is deeper than this and and oh i don't know but he he, george may also have been just saying recommending to beginners perhaps like hey don't try to cast don't try to cast while you're that's it while you're moving right but we're not necessarily catering to beginners on this podcast we've made that known for a very long time and when we guide i tell people a lot when i know they can handle it i'm like let's go cover water And we can move while we're doing that, you know. Imagine if someone put as much time, thought, and effort into designing fishing apparel as you put into finding fish. Well, someone did. Squala Fly Fishing builds waders, jackets, shirts, and pants so well-designed, dependable, and comfortable, you hardly notice them. When you're wearing Squala, you're never hot or wet or unreasonably cold. So you can focus on more important things, like fishing, They don't make gear for everybody. They make gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. 
Then use the code TROUTBITTEN10, that's the number 10, for 10% off your first order from Squala. As fly anglers and tires, we understand the value of having the right tool for the job. AvidMax.com offers over 20,000 products and the knowledge to help you find the right tool for your job, whether that be at the tying bench or on the water. Listeners of the Trout Pitten Podcast receive a special one-time discount code at AvidMax.com. Enter the code TB10 at checkout on full-priced items to save 10% off your order. Orders over $25 ship for free, so you can put more gas in your tank or beer in your cooler. For all things fly fishing and tying, elevate your game with Avid Max. What are your thoughts? I feel like I've missed a lot of fish, like streamer fishing. Yeah. But I'm taking substantial steps. Right. Like like maybe two, maybe let's say I'm moving two or three feet yeah. per, per step. And when I'm throwing streamers, I find myself that I'm not, not as focused. It's like, you know, yeah, fatting your stomach and uh, rubbing your head at the same time. Yeah, I agree. That's too big of a distance for me too. But yeah. but I'll move a little bit. I'll, I'll slide over. Like I was saying, Joe, the, the guy I guided, he was just kind of constantly moving. And I mean, I by constantly, I mean it. And I've seen us all do this. I've been kind of aware of this for a long time, <laughs> that we all just kind of do this. Most of the best anglers that I see we're all kind of constantly shuffling and moving into that next spot. Mm-hmm. And by shuffle, I mean, like I said, six inches, 12 inches over to the right or leaning a little bit and then taking that half step forward. Josh, yeah. you got something. Oh, I was just, I was, what you were saying about it being important, what tactic you're using is, is yeah. key here because even with, even with tight line nymphing, a lot of times yeah. I will be right. moving during the cast. Like, like I might be taking a step in the back cast and before I, shoot it forward and into the actual cast my foot will come to come to rest and i'll lock it in for the drift nice and then and then you set i take another step and cast two feet further you know whatever it is into the next seam or lane to what you said bill is like with streamer fishing i think a lot of it depends on how far you're how far you're fishing from your streamer as well Mm, like i'm more i'm more apt to walk to move and shuffle during the retrieve or the cast if I'm fishing slightly farther away, if I'm close, I treat it a lot more like I'm fishing nymphs and I'd like to have mm. less disturbance in the water just because there is, I'm assuming there is sound under there with gravel shifting and stuff Good like that. Point and too. so if I'm close, I, I tend to not move quite as much, but if I'm further, I will move downstream with the streamer a little bit, get a little bit more of a, I mean, in a way it gets you a little bit more reach also with your drift. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's what I was doing uh, with the dry fly. I, mm-hmm. I continued to get really good dead drifts, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to walk. I kind of was walking downstream with it, within reason. I was probably making five or six feet of progress. Downstream, downstream, there, it's still not dragging. I got another step, and then it would finally drag. Oh, get it out of there. Yeah, It was pretty neat, you know, and I was just thinking about it because of this question. And like I said, though, I've been kind of aware of it for a long time. It wasn't too many podcasts ago where Trevor pointed out that on a tight line, that's a bad thing to do. And let's say during the drift, after the cast, during the drift, where everything is going to track toward your rod tip on a tight line, pure tight line to the mm-hmm. nymph or the streamer, let's say. And if you're aiming seriously for a dead drift that's in one seam, well, you better not move during that drift or your rod tip's going to move and it's going to, everything's going to track to a different spot than it probably should be tracking to. However, and I remember Trevor saying this, I think we were talking dry dropper styles. And Trevor was saying that as yeah. he does dry dropper, he enjoys the freedom that that style gives him to cast and then kind of move 
as the, you know, as the fly is out there, as the dry dropper rig is out there. And you might throw a mend or whatever style he's talking about with dry dropper. Um, and that frees you up, that anchor to the top. I don't know if you, you know what I mean by anchor, that, that positioning on top of the dry fly or the indie. You yeah, know, and then you can throw them in. Your rod tip, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that gives you the freedom to to flex, to move around a little bit, but not giant steps either. I think that's all great stuff. I think um, if it was me, I think I would agree on the beginner side of things. I would probably back off any conversation about moving. I think we all agree with that. Um, yeah. I find myself absolutely moving in the water, especially when I'm dry fly fishing. I, I love to pick up my flies and dry them off in between holes, especially when I'm wet waiting mm. in the summer from yeah. pocket water to pocket water. Casting, casting, um, even yeah, with big just, steps. Yeah. Yep. Just move upstream and I'm drying my fly off. And then it's this so-called dressed before the next hole. And I'm ready nice to point. present it to a eager trout. Hopefully I, I find myself doing that walking and casting more than anything, but you know, Usually, like you said, Dom, I, you know, people look at me and they're like, wow, man, you're, you're crazy walking on the stream. I think some of it with us, we're so used to it. It's like a second nature to us that we can do a lot of things. And that's not boasting. That's just, no, you start fishing when you're 12 or 13 or 14 and you're going to be, and we'll get into this in the podcast, but you're just going to, it's like natural to you, right? Yep. To do all those things yeah. in the water. It's very fluid. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say that just come, comes with time on the water. Time on the water. It's not boastful, like you said. You know, so Rob, I think George had a valid point. Um, and then when you, you know, elaborate to it, there's definitely things that can be um, utilized to your benefit. Uh, once you gain more confidence, you know, doing something like that within waiting and, the, and, and fishing in general, um, it just has to be the right time yeah. in, your, in your angling cl- career. Yeah, you got to fish within your means, no matter what the situation is. You know, you're not trying to stretch your abilities, I suppose, in the, in the begin or at any at any point. We all know what our abilities are, and we know, oh, I have trouble with this. So, or in the tightest cover, I'm I'm gonna stay there. Now I'm gonna cast. I'm gonna even reel in so I don't tangle up in the adjoining brush, and then I'm gonna get up to the next spot. I don't know. All right, guys, let's get to it, and uh, let's get to our topic. Hey. Why does good waiting matter so much? We're saying good waiting, excellent skills, that confidence to just wade almost wherever you want, you know, within reason, within reason. Um, how it just opens the whole river up. Sure. Why does it matter so much, guys? There's only so many fish, and let's say you start in, maybe there's one fish in that run, maybe there's five fish in that run. If you're not able to wade X number of yards, miles, or whatever, you're limiting the amount of fish you can catch mm-hmm. just just based on the amount of fish that will see your flies. Yeah. Yeah. Every single spot where a fish lies has an optimal angle of approach, like angle oh, of attack. Point. And so, which means that every single spot has a different spot that you should be standing to get the perfect presentation to that fish. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then you've got to stand in a lot of different places throughout a day of fishing. Yeah. There you go. Wow. That's, that might be Spot the best on. sentence of the podcast right there. You've got to stand yeah. in a lot of different places mm-hmm. through a day of fishing. Yeah. There you go. That's excellent. I would say that's, from what I see, I think that's one of the biggest issues for a lot of anglers that I spend time with, beginners, intermediates, even even advanced folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
and Bill said it, man, it's like you get yourself into a really good position and chance to catch fish, which is what we're all out there to do. If you're a good waiter and can get yourself into the right position, but also we say good waiting. It's, you know, it's reading the water. Um, mm-hmm. like, you know, Josh said, I mean, I can't tell you how many times you, 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 you have a bad angle on a fish mm-hmm. and it doesn't materialize. And so yeah. people don't rationalize that enough, I think yeah. on their game that it's like, no, nah, it's like, it's hard to explain, but you guys get what I'm trying to say. It's, it's very important to, to, to yeah. approach it. Right. And it all starts with waiting. Well, we do. We understand what you're saying, Matt, but I've guided enough and enough really good anglers to know that not everyone out there is going to understand what you're saying. People don't see it that way as much, and it's because of a limitation. It's because they look at the water and they go, well, I could stand here, but I, I'm, I'm not comfortable standing over there. It might not even be a conscious decision for them, but they're, they're comfortable here. They're not comfortable 10 more feet out. Or wading to the other side, just That's to fish. Like on. I said, sometimes sometimes light angles are very poor oh, yeah. from the left side. I mean, you can't see into the glare. I don't care what kind of glasses you have. You get over to the other side and you go, there we go. I can see everything. I can see into the water. I can see all the lanes. I, sometimes I can see the fish. But many people, oh, I don't know. It's just those limitations. They aren't comfortable with it. They don't have that skill. No. And it's interesting. And I kind of elaborated on it before with the just you ever just jump in the water like if you look at most of your situations like there's there's they're not life-threatening situations <laughs> if you take a dip yeah. on most rivers right we're not i'm not talking about you know flood stage and all that fun sure. stuff i'm just talking about normal flows when your local river yep i always i'm like well i i've fished with you know timid anglers before i'm like what do you think's yeah. gonna happen i mean he's just right, gonna right. get wet so so what so like right. it's not gonna it's day ruiner sure in the middle of winter it could be a day ruiner mm. so that's a great I'm, point i'm skipping around a little bit but I, yeah, I tell people just like in the summer wet wade if you're worried about it you'd be shocked you know get a little more confidence wet wading out there in the river and you know beating that fear you'd be shocked at that that's extra six inches is going <laughs> to give you x amount of trout more trout yeah. in your day that's what it is. I just came from baseball practice, little league baseball practice, and the kids can field a ground ball when I'm just throwing it to them like 10 feet away. We do that drill all the time. I'm just, it's not coming off of the bat. I just throw it to them and they're moving to the ball. They have their head on the, they see the ball all the way into their glove. Their eyes are on it. They're not backing away. They're moving to the ball. As soon as it comes off the bat, and let's say now 50 feet away, and if I hit it pretty hard, they're, they're kind of going away from, they're afraid of it. And it's, it just reminds me of what you just said, Matt. There is a fear there. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that. And there's a fear that anglers have. That's like uh, I said, people feel limited. They, they, they feel like, oh, I have a limitation here. I, I, I don't know that I could wade into there. I'm not sure I could get through that. It's a fear. But if we beat that, like you're saying, by realizing that, oh, that wasn't that bad. I fell down, but so what? I, dude, I used to tell my kids, if you fall, get up. I guess I still say that. But when they were really young, I would take them out wading. I would take them out fishing, sometimes just walking in the river, not even sure. fishing. I mean, a lot of times when they were really young, sometimes with waders, sometimes not. And that's what I would say. If you fall, get up. It sounds stupid. It sounds simple, but that's it. Yeah. On our trout waters, I mean, what are we talking? Knee deep, thigh deep, sure. maybe belt deep right. for the most part mm-hmm. is what we're talking about here. If you fall, 
put your feet under you and get up. Right. It's so funny that that's like that. But that is the fear. It, the fear is I'm going to get wet. It's like, well, no. that too. Yeah. It's not <laughs> that you're going to die. But exactly. Like, oh, no, it's I don't want to get never wet. The case. Like, yo, yeah. I don't want to get wet. It's embarrassing. Yep. You know, whatever. It's, well, in, it's uncomfortable. True. You know, whatever. But, but what Matt's saying, it's like, just eliminate that. Just start by getting wet. Yeah. Like, well, wet, wet. I like that. And it's not a big deal. But the one other thing that I noticed these folks are really timid on not just falling in, but it's that velocity of the current. And mm. you, you see people, you know, creep out to the current, right? And the reason they turn around half the yeah. time is that push, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I would say, just wade through it. You know, it's like, I mean, if you look down river, okay, and it's fast, I get it, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, but we're talking, I'm going to go back, to, I'm going to say we're in the summer, right? Because it's like, ah, uh, it's whatever, you're wet wading, you're not, it's not cold, so you're not going to get hypothermic. Right. If you can see the tail out in a pool, like, what do you think is really going to happen? We're not talking right. about whirlpools yeah, because there are rivers, right, that could sure. have some, some bad white water. And I get that. Just we're not bubbles. referencing that. Exactly. We're just talking. Make that clear. Right. Yeah. We're, we're just talking about our local rivers when they're at normal flow. You know, and, and you can like, well, I'm like, I, I was, who was I with? You know, who's, who's timid now? I'm going to bust on him. A slooper. No, no. <laughs> Sloopers every, getting timid on every podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. But, but I just told him, I said, Sloop, you'll be fine. It's like, what you know, I'll come down and get you. You're just going to yeah. go wade off That's, into the bank over there. I'll come and get you. Yeah. <laughs> he dry off. That fishing him down. over there, bud, is good. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of pounders over on that bank, yeah. and I want to get towel. <laughs> towel them off. Come on, Slooper, you're all right. You're all right. Get back in there, bud. Pat yeah. him on the ass. There you go. Yep. Come on. You're all right. <laughs> Come on. Uh, There's yeah, two waiting staffs. It's, it's yeah. back to yeah. that mental. There's something about the mental. And then and then people feel that rush of water. And for whatever reason, that what rush of water is a trigger for some mm-hmm. folks to back off. That push. Right. Yeah. And have you guys not seen that with people? Oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think we've probably all felt it. Right. We have all felt it. In the intro, I said how when I was a kid, okay, we have all, all of us here, as kids, we were in the water, right? Five, 10 years oh, old, yeah. 12 years old. We're all in the water. So we acknowledge like we have that advantage. That push that Matt's talking about, we don't care. We don't even think about it. It doesn't enter our mind. If it's a significant push, we go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Lean into it. Here we go. But, and we still go, but hmm, what I'm saying is I'm used to it. And I've seen many anglers, well, obviously not be used to it. I'm going to tell you something. I feel like anyone can be a good waiter. And yet so many people, especially many people won't like to hear this, but older anglers or or newer anglers, they'll make excuses. Well, I had a knee surgery. Well, I'm getting older and my balance is kind of off. It's kind of, you know, it's not as good as it used to be. Well, my ankle you know, I got a problem or I got some arthritis in whatever or the hips or the, I don't know, this or that. And I'm going to tell you, anyone can be a good wader. Now, I'm not saying anyone can wade the Yellowstone River as it probably looked right now, Matt, right? right. You got the flows. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you have your local river, as Matt keeps saying, at knee-deep flows, maybe thigh-deep flows, like I promise you, you can do that. And Obviously, there are exceptions. So I'm saying 95% of the people out there, you can be a good waiter if you stop making excuses and say, all right, I'm going to do some things to help me be a good waiter. And we're going to tackle that here in a minute. There's some gear stuff. There's some how you approach things. But I'm saying like everybody can do it. And I've been surprised 
while I'm guiding, how often I focus on, hey, let's talk about like how to get through this water a little easier. Like you don't need my arm. I don't mind lending people my arm. That's fine. Seriously. But like you don't need it. Like we can get through it. You can gain that confidence even though you don't have the experience from doing it since you were 12 years old. I'll occasionally get people that tell me, hey, you know, I, I retired. And I always said, said when I was retired, I was going to pick up fishing. And now I have. And I often feel like saying to people, you waited too long because there's a lot to learn. And it's going to start with just being in the water and being comfortable. And now you're probably going to tell me, well, I, oh, I got some trouble still. And, and I'm, I'm older, so my balance is a little off. Like, dude, my balance is a little, a little off. And I'm late 40s. And my balance is a little different than it, than it was five years ago. But I have that advantage, like I said in the intro, of like doing it since I was young. I feel confident now. And I think I'll be good. I'm, I'm sure. I'll be good when I'm older. I'll understand where my limitations are, though, because I've, I've grown up doing it. So it's not that we don't have empathy for anyone who's just getting into it, but I think what we would all tell anyone who's new to the game or trying to branch out and just be a better waiter is that you can do it. You have to get through that fear a little bit and trust yourself. Trust some of the things we're going to talk about here too. Right. No, that's that's all really good good stuff, Dom. And I think it's not supposed to, especially with what you just said, if you're new, it's not like you're walking on a bank. Like you got slippery boulders. It's not supposed yeah. to feel like walking on the bank. Like yeah. You have to accept that a little bit, right? I mean, yeah. That when you're in there and you're waiting, um, there's unevenness. You're supposed to feel off balance and off camber. Um, yeah. And that's okay, right? It's, but I, I think that leads into the people that are feeling, you know, unsettled and it's different and they feel, yeah. They feel odd in that river where you yeah. and I, we feel comfortable. It's like if I'm sliding down rocks and the river's pushing <laughs> my butt and I'm kind of looking back smiling and people are like, oh, <laughs> that guy's wild, you know? It's just like, yeah, what? I mean, I'm having fun. Like, what's going to happen? Well, Not- you're sliding, but you know, you just know from experience that you're going to stop sliding yeah, and that right exactly. foot is going to plant somewhere. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It's all right. No, oh, 100%. I mean, it's all familiarity and confidence and just being in that environment for so long, you, you feel at home with it. And I think that's one piece when people are like, well, you feel like it looks like you weighed effortlessly. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's kind of a, you know, something I've been doing a long time, right? You it's just, a good you workout. It. it is. Yeah. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the trout bitten crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail Beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Trout Bitten's favorite beer. For over a decade, Smith Creek has provided innovative, high-quality fly fishing accessories designed to put your gear in easy reach, free up your hands, and keep our waters clean. For 2023, check out the all-new patented tippet holder. Each unit is individually machined from billet aluminum and anodized in two eye-catching colors. 
They hold up to five tippet spools with a spring-loaded plunger that is quick and easy to use, keeping your tippet spools right where you need them. Also, the brand new Rod Clip Plus comes with an improved 304 steel pin, plus a carabiner clip, giving you two ways to attach it. All Smith Creek products are built guide tough and backed by solid customer service. To learn more about Smith Creek products, visit their website at smithcreek.co. So I always say it's waiting, not walking. That's what I told my kids too. I have an article about that titled, It's Waiting, Not Walking. Because I remember saying that to Joey when he was about eight years old. And he said something to me like walking through the river. Oh, you just walked through the river. I'm like, no, no, no. It might look like I'm walking, but I'm waiting. And the point I made to him that day was this. And it's the first time I'd ever really thought about it. You brought this up, Matt. On the bank, you're walking. As soon as I hit the water, I'm not walking anymore. And the difference, the main difference is that I put one foot down and then it anchors before I yeah. pick the next foot up. When you're walking on a bank, you don't, you don't do that. You don't <laughs> stick the foot on the, on the ground. Now I can pick the other foot up. Stick the left foot down. Now I can pick the other yeah. foot up. But that's how we weighed. And that's really the difference. You want to feel stable before you pick up the right foot. The right foot goes down and then you're stable. And then you can pick up the left foot. And as it as you progress, as it becomes effortless, really, it looks like walking. Sure. And in the easiest water to wade, we're just walking. Mm -hmm. It looks like we're walking, but we're still all doing that. I'm sure of it. It's one foot down and solid and any other picks up. Anyway, that's the difference between, yeah. between wading and walking. Because it happens faster, you know, because right there's on. something subconscious that happens. Like, I know when I'm solid. And that comes yeah. a lot faster when you really understand how your foot and your boot reacts to a rock that's that's being pushed by a current. Like, mm -hmm. if you've not done that, then you kind of sit there and you sh you sort of like shimmy your heel back and forth trying to say, mm -hmm. is this solid? And then you right. take the next step. And that's what waiting looks like to a lot of people. And then yeah. once you've gotten really used to it, it's like your foot hits the bottom, you feel it lock in, and then you can lift your next. And to your son, that probably looked like walking. Right. Because right. it looks like you're walking across the river. Because those transitions that... My foot hits the bottom, it locks in, I have traction, and I pick up the next one. It's happening very quickly. It because is. Because there's this sub subconscious understanding, like, I'm solid now. I can pick up my right foot, you know. And there and, is some acceptance of just slippage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You, you for sure. learn that's going to slip, and then it's going to settle. Yeah. But to be able to do that, I think, obviously, you have to have done it a lot. But I think yeah. you have to have good good gripping power on the bottom of your boots. I feel like that's yeah. a lot, a lot of times overlooked by the average angler. Like, sure. Oh, I just, you know, I got a pair of, uh, you know, rubber sole boots. I'm going to go out and wade this river. <laughs> good and luck. it's got all this, it's got all this slime on it and they're struggling to stand up all day. Right. Can we all agree that, that there's no good, just rubber boot sole oh, without yeah. any support. Oh yeah. I mean, I, rubber boots are a joke. They're garbage. Michelin soles. It doesn't matter. What, <laughs> it doesn't matter on. if it's Michelin or Goodyear. No. Or yeah. it Vibram. Firestone. Remember Aquastone? Firestone. I think we just named all of them. Like, uh, I mean, they, through the years, they put a clever name on it and they tell you it's made by so-and-so. It doesn't matter. Rubber soles all suck on most yeah. terrain. Actually, yeah. one of our local rivers, you can wear, wear rubber soles with no studs and it's pretty dang good. But it's the sure. only one that I can think of. Yeah, it's mostly right. gravel, though. It's not a lot exactly. of rocks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you're not dealing with large chunks of limestone, then you're kind of okay. If it's, if it's a gravel base, you can wear anything you want. 
Yeah. Yep. So uh, let's get into that, Bill. Let's talk. I mean, yeah, we're talking about, hey, you just let this let your foot foot settle. Well, if you have the wrong traction, then you can't, your foot isn't going to settle. No, it's, it's going to keep, gonna, it's going to keep sliding. Keep you're, you're, two, you're two feet down and, you know, next thing you're doing, you're, next thing you know, you're doing a split. Yeah. So part of this is that confidence and experience we're talking about. And another part, obviously, is the gear. I want to say like quickly, like I think you need good support in the boots. I'm not a big fan of whatever the lightest boots that you can buy or let's say boots with uh, little support. I always want boots with good support so that, uh, I don't know, predictable, pre- kind of predictable the way they're going to flex. I don't want them yeah, super, super flexing. For ahead. me, it depends. If I'm fishing a yeah. river that I know has a lot of big boulders, I'll fish a heavier boot yeah. so that if my foot does slide into a big boulder, mm-hmm. it's not going to, it's not going to take the abuse where if I'm fishing a brook trout stream and I'm hiking mm-hmm. and covering maybe seven, eight miles a day, I'll take the lightest boot that I have because I know that it's, you know, I'm not going to face those big boulders. That's it's nice more point. of just a hiking experience. That's a nice point. And when yeah. that'll cut down on, on the fatigue for sure. Yeah. So right now I'm wearing really, really, I, I mean, what I'd say is sort of bomb proof, like, like really solid structured shoes or yeah. wading boots, you know, it, well, they're the G4s. They're like a lot more than I've had in the past. Are they the ones with the new spot to put the, um, aluminum? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm a G, I'm a G3 guy. That's why I asked. I, I like the Me G3 too. because I can put Me my too. own traction in. <laughs> yes. But I will say with them that I did have to, I put on my own Loctite and that has really helped. And they've, I've not had, since I did that, I've not had any fallout in, I mean, it's not been that many days, maybe 40, 40 days on the water with them. I've not had any fallout. But anyway. Tell us more though about why you like the bomb proof. Well, I'm saying that right now I'm using the bomb proof, but I yeah. honestly don't know that I like them better. Because well, you had really light ones I had not the, too long I, ago. I imagine they're one of the lightest ones you can have. Sure. The, my previous pair, so I'm, yeah. I'm going to polar opposites, really. Mm-hmm. Which is what? Which one? The Like the, the older the version of the flyweight. Yeah. Flyweights. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I, I love those. them. I love them, honestly. Okay. And it's not just that I love them on easy terrain streams. I really do. I think that they had enough enough structure for me. S- structure and support. Yeah, I think they had enough. Like, I, I, I wasn't moving around at them. Like, I noticed that I really do notice how much heavier these ones are. Did yeah. you put the traction think, on those flyweights? Yeah, grip studs. Okay. Bill, yeah. Yeah, oh, I was going to say the, no, the weight. Like, I, I don't know. As I get older, I've noticed that's a huge thing for me. Mm. Like, I can fish longer if my that's weighting fair. boots are lighter mm-hmm. and I can cover more water. And I, I think it makes the weighting a little bit easier. So, We'll talk like the one thing Trevor and I have talked about this, like with the the flyweights or like I wear the the really light corker boots. And so with those, there's there the material's a little bit lighter. Yeah. And so when you're waiting, when you kick a rock or you can use your foot to kind of feel the rock, yeah. where like the the heavier boots like the G threes are you know, there's that really solid toe up front. Mm-hmm. And so you can't necessarily like use your foot to kind of bump and feel your way because that's a it kind of dead. Mm-hmm. It is. It kind of deadens the, uh, you know, your touch with your feet. And so I feel like with the lighter boots, I have more like my feet are a little more sensitive. And so where I step or where I kind of, 
you know, if I'm in the middle of a step or whatever, like I can put my waiting staff down and I can use the toe to kind of feel, okay, where is the, where's the best base to put my foot for my next step? Sure. I really, I do think that that might be what it is that I noticed the biggest difference is that I feel it with these boots that I'm using right now that are big and have wonderful structure and are really solid and I know aren't going to give out on my ankle or anything. And I'm not going to hurt if I hit a rock or something, if I slide into a crevice or something like that. But I don't don't feel like I feel the bottom as well. Like I don't feel like I feel the angles. I don't feel like I'm using intuition and and like Mm -hmm. years of practice to feel out the bottom of the river. That's the trade-off. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of just powering through it. I think that's per, that's like a personal preference. And, and Bill, you're saying you'll change boots knowing uh, what uh, terrain you plan to cover. You know, yeah. Me, I kind of always wear the same boots. I, I like a lot of structure. And when, I, when you say structure in a boot, people often think ankle support. That's great. Ankle support matters. But we're all saying, too, we're talking about the thickness of the midsole and that yeah. last sole, the bottom sole. Yeah. Um, where you can feel the bottom or you can not feel the bottom. And like personally, I, I prefer not feeling the bottom so much, but I acknowledge that it's kind of neat when you can. And I've had really, you know, kind of fly weights and other really light boots. Um, it's neat, right? I mean, I don't know that that many people really think about that. Many people will just say, I really like these boots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Dom. I'm a bigger support guy. Um, yeah. And I feel it. I don't necessarily feel i guess when i'm waiting on look like i'm looking yeah where i'm going more so i right. think i want now that's kind of just how i naturally move through the water right i'm like trying to look at the obstacles place my foot accordingly and maybe because of that i'm sloppier <laughs> and i need that more support just that's to bang fair. off of rocks and whatnot you have to fa- yeah that's kind of i feel like i'm just kind of just banging through the water a lot of times well you just said you look I mean, I've often told people I think polarized lenses are a real key to waiting. Oh yeah. I've had people say, Well, it's not I, very sunny out. I don't need my my sunglasses, my polarized lenses, do I? I'm like, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. We want to see not only into the water so that we can fish better, but so that we can wade better. Bill? Yeah, when I when I first started guiding, I was really surprised how often people would just not wear them. Like experienced anglers would be like, Oh, I don't need them. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you want to be able to see into the water. And then like on top of that, like I carry three different shades of sure. polarized glasses sure. because, <laughs> and, and they don't have to be expensive. Like you can go to Walmart no, and get, you know, seriously. 10 or $15 pairs and it, they're still going to like, you know, if it's really dark, you want yellow. If it's, you know, amber is kind of the, for me, Middle. it's the best overall. And then you could have a darker pair if it's, you know, blazing sun. But like being able to see into the water to cut the glare and to be able to see where the rocks are, like you may not be able to, you know, people always think like, oh, I'm going to wear polarized glasses because I'm going to spot fish. But to me, the biggest advantage is I can spot rocks so that I don't trip over them. Yeah. Yeah. It has to do with the fishing and the waiting. Oh, yeah. Sure. The presentation. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Both. Yeah. One of the things that you just said, I think is a good point. And it's that you, (laughs) I mean, Sure, if you've got the budget, go and buy the nicest thing and go and buy, you know, the guide's choice or whatever, whatever the brand that you like their version Mm -hmm. of that is, because it's great for cutting out light coming in from other sources. But if you're trying to see where you're walking, you really don't need to go and buy the nicest thing. Any polarization, like when you spend 200 bucks on a pair of sunglasses, you're buying 10% better, 20% better, maybe, you know, agreed. Yeah. Like 
it's just not yeah. necessary. Like it just isn't. wear something. And if it's low light, wear something more yellow tinted. Well, what Bill said there about having those three different lens colors, I, th- mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people don't wear their lenses because maybe maybe they do have the dark gray ones. And then it's, well, yeah. a lot of times we fish in pretty low light conditions and then they'll yeah. say, well, I'm not going to put those on because it cuts so much light out. Well, then go buy yourself a pair of $15 Walmart yellow polarized lenses. Anyway, you'll see in better. You're just going to see in better. You're going to see in, and like Matt said, you're going to be able to cut through the water and and wade where you want because you know you know what's down there. That That is sure. critical. Yep. It has a lot to do with body positioning. Like whether you're wading upstream or downstream, the way we move our body through the water. You, yep. you guys ever think about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, it never occurred to me until I started guiding people and saying like, sure. okay, like if you're, let's say you're wading into a really fast current. Yeah. You're not going to approach it like head on, like wading straight into it. You need to turn your body and make make mm. your body as narrow as possible into that fast current because then it's going to have less impact on you at that point let's say it, it may be fast but it may only be like calf deep yeah and so your calves really aren't all that wide for most people and so if you're if you're turning <laughs> sideways <laughs> i don't know bill have you ever seen yeah. my calves i know have you ever seen Calf me master. wade a river? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you if you turn your body kind of sideways, like I don't know, when I wade, if I'm wading a fast current, I'll often turn my body sideways so that I'm not absorbing the majority of the current. For sure. And the deep the deeper that current gets, the more impact it has on yeah. you. And so yeah. if you're standing crotch deep in a in a really fast run that's coming at you. You know, if you're if you're looking upstream at it, it's gonna really push hard on you, and it's gonna almost knock you over. Versus if you turn sideways, mm-hmm. it's gonna it's gonna make that much less force on you. Yeah, and it's important to understand how that works because I think that the natural tendency is to when you turn sideways, because because maybe maybe you might understand like simple aerodynamics mean like turn sideways, make yourself skinny, and it's gonna be better. But then people will lean. I've seen people want to lean like into the river and brace with that front foot. That's not what you want to do when you want when you're blocking water when you're turn, make, when you're making yourself skinny. Use your back foot that has all of the traction because when you block the water with your front foot, your back foot's going to be the one that settles in. So oh, use, that's nice. Use that one as the one that gets all the traction. Like don't lean into the water. Mm, lean out of the, like lean lean with the current because that's where all of your traction is. That's a good See, I, tip. I lean into it because I'm a for like doing I it guess wrong. to me if it's really if it's really fast I want to lean into it because mm-hmm. if I'm leaning a, yeah. if I'm leaning on my back foot and I slip I yeah. could go so I could go for a ride quicker. Lean I, into it, but lean with your back foot. Your back foot's gotcha. what's bracing you. The one that has ah, the, where okay. the one gotcha. that's in the slow water. I yeah. got him. Yeah, I love that stuff. And as we're moving through and reading the water, yeah. I'm I'm looking for gravelly areas or areas where it looks like I can get a good foothold. Or if you can't see in, if it's a little dirty, then you're feeling for that. And when you find one of those spots that are, I'm going to say, just solid, whether it's nice and gravelly or whatever, it's solid. Okay, there's your spot. And then maybe around it, whatever. You're feeling for those good footholds. And you recognize like, oh, this spot, this is tough. I got to kind of move around this. Let me get out of here. Let me move to the right. Oh, let me get in that pocket. Well, right where the fish 
you know, maybe right where I caught that last fish. And he was sitting there because the water was a little slower. Often, right under that slower water is some gravelly stuff or sediment or a little bit of sand mixed with the gravel or on top of the rock. That's often where your best footing is. So when we're wading pocket water, we're often going from pocket to pocket to pocket, not just fishing the next pocket, but often standing in a pocket that we already fished. Yep. That's another way to approach it, right? That's exactly just, yeah. You're fishing into a pocket, then you wade into that pocket because that pocket most likely is being, there's something above it, whether it's a boulder yeah. or a log or something that's obstructing it, that's causing it to be slower. And so you're, you're, you know, when I work across the river, it's, you know, fish the seam, wade to the seam, fish the seam, wade to the seam nice. until you're the whole way across the river. Yeah. I love that too, because it, uh, you know, who knows how much this matters, but it does defend you from the, the sight of the fish. Say more. I missed it. Well, I, I just mean like when you're wading into one of those, like let's say a pocket of water is usually behind something. You are using that something to block off yourself oh, from right what on. you're fishing for. You yep. Know? Keep your presence uh, yeah, obscure. Exactly. Right yeah. on. So I love it when I can like get into one of those pockets like that and where for I'm sure. fishing for something up above it. I'm like these fish have no idea that I'm here because it's right almost on. like you're fishing the next level. But you're not fishing the next level, you know, you're just... And if you're fishing some really heavy runs, which I love doing, and I've seen you guys, we all seem to love wading some really heavy water. And again, sometimes it's because most people won't. For me, it's I catch some of the best fish of the year, the biggest fish of the year out of the heaviest runs. And I just love being surrounded by that water. And I also love the challenge of wading, the kind of stuff. I, I feel like I accomplished something because I, I got in there. And it is, there's a, there's a challenge to it beyond the challenge of fishing that makes me feel like oh, I, I got all the, wow, I got all the way to the other side. I wasn't sure I could do that at 500 CFS or 800 CFS or something. And I, I don't feel like at any point we're putting our, we're certainly not recommending anybody. Don't put yourself in danger, whatever. We are saying to kind of go beyond your comfort zone. If you feel like that, you know, something you need to do is be a better waiter. Well, then go beyond your comfort You're zone. You're going to be driving down your local river next week and it's going to look like a landmine <laughs> went off. <laughs> A little danger is good for you. <laughs> just just wear those uh those those little floaties on your arm that Madison was probably <laughs> yeah. wearing, Matt, last summer. Uh, right? Those little yeah. yellow floaties. Oh, yeah. You could put those on when your wrist. Just throw some floaties. Hey, I always said if I was if there was a product I wanted to invent, because they have them for like avalanches, you can mm. pull a cord and it'll blow up like a little inner tube on your yeah. back to give you space breathable space. Yeah. I always wanted to do one for that would just blow up. And it would be an inner tube because out here hmm. you can fish. You stay below the high water mark, fish upstream two miles and just get in my <laughs> tube and float back to my car. <laughs> yeah. I've always thought that something like that would be, I mean, I'm, honestly, they probably make cool. it. They well, probably, they do make yeah. life vests. They probably make the, life vests, like, and which I thought would be cord. really neat for, I mean, for, for floating just because Matt like, wants I, need, though. I need to what wear this. Yeah, he, he wants to start <laughs> the day as a weight angler and finish the day. He wants, a fly wants fly craft to, He wants a fly craft to just inflate. I want the, my broken in, heels. In five by five pack. Yeah. I want my four pack of broken heels, and I just yeah. want to like imagine you being the guy. It floats by all the anglers that, you know, like, hey, guys. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, like, those, those, you can get, like, a personal-sized inner tube that packs down real small. <laughs> yeah. Like, why not just well, do it and bring it a little pump? You just bring, like, a little hand pump. There you go. Like, <laughs> man, Matt, do it, man. <laughs> That'd be Josh awesome. Josh is coming right out. He's going to show you how to do it. People are going to be throwing yeah. rocks at me and poking holes in my inner tube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> 
So uh, when I was when I was young, here's a story for you. When I was young, uh, we went to a local really big river, and my dad can't swim. He can like doggy paddle, and so he was scared to death that I would fall into this river and drowned. And so he made me wear like the little like red inner tube oh, yeah. that you wear as a kid. Oh, and so I had to wear that the whole day around while your waist. Fished. I remember. Yeah, I remember I was so mad. I was like, Dad, I can swim. I'm not going to fall in. And so, yeah, it made me wear this bright red inner tube. that's rough. How old were you? I don't know. I was young. 16, 17, something like that. 28. (laughs) Come on, Dad. (laughs) Come on, Dad. I can drive. I can float. It's funny, man. Tactical Fly Fisher was founded by Fly Fishing Team USA angler Devin Olson to bring anglers cutting-edge gear and techniques from the international competitive fly fishing scene. Tactical Fly Fisher's aim is to help you improve your angling ability so you can have more fun on the water. Whether you need some flies, fly tying equipment, or a new rod or reel, they've got you covered. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TBPOD10. That's TBPOD10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. Hey, so we talked about boots. Let's do boot studs and waiting staff for gear. I mean, we got to cover that, right? Boots is one thing. We talked about that in the support. What about boot studs? I think, Dell, you mentioned it before, and, and I'll back you on this. I think a lot of people underestimate their current traction. Uh, some of those studs wear out. I mean, they just get dull. Oh, yeah. I've seen oh, it over yeah. and over again. And, and, and people think, you know, you pay, we all know they're expensive. Some of the cleats out there, you pay yeah. a decent amount for them. And I don't know about you, but if you're an aggressive waiter, those things don't last long. I mean, whether yeah. they pop out no. or they get dull, you should constantly yeah. be checking that yeah. condition on your yeah. waiting boots if, if you want to maintain an edge for grip uh, personally. And I... I'm not, uh, you know, Dom, you got me on the grip stud. I, I've been yeah. a grip stud guy since that day, and they work. They work really well for me. Um, but let's be honest, right? Every yeah. stream bottom is different. different. So And they don't work I don't everywhere. care. Yeah. They don't. They don't work everywhere. And I don't care. Some some rivers, they're just hard to wade. They're always mm-hmm. going to be hard to wade, right? Just like accept. there's not yeah. a magic grip for every situation. Yeah. I would say what we're talking yeah. about 70% of the time we feel comfortable with I'm talking on behalf of myself in a grip stud with my G3s and I feel confident in that scenario. Is there stuff that it doesn't work in? Sure. Yeah. Granite. I'm so kind of surprised because yeah. you're you're on top of some granite sometimes, right? Yeah. And it's tough at times. The grip studs are uh, single point tungsten carbide tips. Now there's other brands out there and you know find those. Um, single point carbide, and they bite in real nice until you get to something that's harder than the tungsten. Right. And then they don't bite, but they slide, right? And then you can go the opposite and go aluminum, and now there's a lot of aluminum options. And I used to, when Patagonia first came out with the bars, I was like, this is We amazing. all had them. Remember how many right we had? around here? Fantastic. I felt like Spider-Man for Those a while. Those were great for a while, yeah. Right, They yeah. just wear out. Exactly. That's yeah. the trouble with the bars is as soon as they lose the edge and they start to round out too much, then you're you're back to, hey, this isn't very good. And you have to replace them a lot, like you said, Matt. Yep. I, th- I think the uh, the Orvis uh, Posi, what is it? 
posi grip posi trap yeah those are yes. decent i like those and they sure. they're tungsten i think mm-hmm. and then they're they have like four points at the top of a very aggressive screw head those are cool sure guys remember when we used to run uh, uh cold were they cold cutters is that what they're called yeah i still use those yeah no, and they wear out quick but they were out you, quick, but man, they grip like nothing else, at least for a day and a half. <laughs> right. <laughs> like I do. Right. <laughs> it's, part of my, it's part of Bill's bedtime routine is replace them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bedtime. But, um, no, yeah, sure. there's, there's a lot of good options. My favorite traction, I know you guys give me hell for it, but Corkers, the Corkers felt with studs is hands down the best traction of any boot that I've ever owned. Well, and felt with studs, I would argue, is your be- is, is anybody's best. best traction if yeah, it's legal everywhere. and if you if it's okay yeah. for you to use it. And that's right. Yeah, you can't. I've had, I just I had those I mean, the corkers, the felt with studs, and they're great. They're great. They yeah. really are amazing. I had LL Bean boots with felt uh, felt with studs and uh, w- whatever. I mean, through the years, I've had felt with studs a few times. I got away from felt. Um, when I really started getting into winter fishing, because I don't like yeah, we've yeah, talked yeah about, it stinks. You get stilts. You yeah, get snow stilts. Sure. Yeah, I and, won't wear them in the winter. That's, no. Yeah. Right. So you got to have multiple boots and whatever. And I hike so much, like you though, Bill, um, that I do like the traction of, well, the, the bank side traction of rubber. But then sure. I like having, for me, I like those grip yeah. studs on there too. Or yeah. those posi grips with the Orvis. Those are definitely one of my favorites too. I think it's also very good to mention, and I have these, this conversation with a lot of folks yeah. when discussing gear. The four of us currently are putting this stuff to the absolute max test you could possibly, you know, want out of a product. And so there's listeners out there that could say, I'll get a message through Instagram like, hey, I had this boot and I have a great time. And then it turns out they fish five times a year. Well, sure. Yeah. Like, it's all relative Right, you got every, listeners out there could have really good experiences with products that may not work for us, but it's all about how sure. much time you spend on the water. So if you're going to spend a hundred days fishing over the next five years, you might get a really good turnout on a product that maybe yeah. is you know middle of the road, and and I encourage folks to seek that out, right? But for me, the team here, right, the group here, I mean, yeah, we yeah. want something that's going to last and i think mm-hmm. that when we when we speak about the, this stuff that's where our mindset is is we beat the snot out of it and these are things that have worked <laughs> for us right. yeah that's true now the lightweight boots i'm getting 50 to 60 days out of those and i'm just yeah. they're light they're, they're they're lighter material and so i'm i'm taking that as a okay it's not going to last as long but it's going to allow me to fish longer. You and get your so advantage. That's, you that's my trade advantage. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to refresh those maybe twice a year. Yeah. Or once a year. Same thing with the studs. I mean, if you are fishing five days or even 15 days a year, you could get those cold cutters real cheap. And like Bill said, that's excellent traction. They're motorcycle yeah. studs, motorcycle time yeah. studs. Yeah. And no, you well, can that's get how grip studs started also, right? Right, right. Grip studs is very, yeah, also marketed to motorcycle tires and uh, other tires. Um, and anyway, um, you can get those cold cutters and the grip studs, you know, a pretty good price, especially because the grip studs last forever, a very long yep. time because they're tungsten carbide and it's single point. Anyway, I mean, there's a lot of great options, but do we all agree that you need studs in the boots? Oh, yes. yes. I agree. That's a- I, I mean, people will, as soon as I book a trip, many people have questions even before I kind of give them my next email, which has a bunch of answers, <laughs> preemptive answers to those questions. Um, 
and people say, you know, oh, what what should I bring? And I, I, yeah, well, I say studs and a waiting staff, yeah. and polarized lenses. Those are the things that the three things yeah. that people seem to forget or miss or think they don't need the most. So, what about the waiting staff? It's a game changer. We all have one, right? We yeah. all have one. Yeah, you guys are in some of the best fishing shape of anybody that I know. I mean, Josh, you're probably the strongest person here and <laughs> the most well balanced. Although Bill never <laughs> falls in, so. Right, it's been years. It's, it, but, it's been years for him. Years, decades. Yeah, de- decades. He doesn't fall. Once a decade, he falls in. No, but seriously, I mean, uh, and I've written multiple articles about this. And Josh, you and I did a video on the waiting staff because I think we have a really good system for doing it. So I think we should walk through it quickly. But anyway, we're yeah. all kind of bought into either. It's very similar. We all we all do it in a very similar way. And I'm going to say, Matt, you are the one who got me gone on a waiting staff. You fished what we called. The Big Boy River, <laughs> we referred to it earlier. And that river, when I f- would fish it with you, Mrs. Oh my gosh, like Long two decades ago, ago yeah. right? I would be like, man, I just, whew, this is tough. I didn't have a waiting staff. And then I had a surgery on my neck and I was like, what, late 30s? I think I was 38 when I had that surgery. And do, Matt, do you remember I fished that river? I think it was with you. For the first time back fishing, I fished that river. And I was like, God, <laughs> baptism <very> by fire. <laughs> right. And I, I mean, this is the first time back and you, you know, some muscles that atrophy. Sure. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I was anyway. So first time back from surgery, I'm like, I need a waiting staff. So I set up a broomstick and put it on a shoestring and hung it off my waiting belt <laughs> and stuff. And I swear to God, seriously, that's what I did. I still have it in the garage, but I mean, I don't use it because it's a terrible waiting staff idea. I mean, anyway, I learned on that trip, like, oh, this really, really helps to have a waiting staff. And I remember seeing you, Matt, you had a good way to grab it, a good way to let it go, and then a good way to grab it again when you needed it. It didn't get in your way. The way you rigged it, I was like, that's pretty good. And then I was guiding a guy named Paul Almquist who I saw his staff and the way he had things set up, and I went, that's really it for me. You got, And now we all kind of sure. do the same thing, right? Yeah, it's right there on the left hip, and it's, and it's tight. And so you don't, want, you don't want there to be a lot of slack when you're not using it. That's right. It, that's obviously it's tight super because of important. A, yeah, yeah. So we all do we all use the gear keeper? Yeah. Which what, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what poundage you guys use, but mine's mine's pretty heavy, and I don't mind it being that way because as soon as I let go, I know it's going to be. It's always going to be right there, even if it gets caught. It's right it's gonna there. Be right there. Right on. So what we're talking about. You, you can seriously go to the Trout Pit and YouTube channel, look in and search waiting staff, and you'll find it. Yeah. Uh, it's a collapsible waiting staff. It can be either retractable or collapsible. It's a trekking pole. It's not a waiting staff. To be quite honest, almost every waiting staff that it, the, that the industry offers you, I think not a good choice. Often they're overbuilt. Uh, they're too heavy. We want it to be retractable mm-hmm. with a fairly light gear keeper. Mine's 12 ounces, uh, meaning 12 ounces of pull retract, retracting yeah. strength. Anyway, um, these trekking poles, whatever, you can get two of them for like 35, 40 bucks. You can go a little stronger or thicker with them and maybe spend 80 bucks, Josh, for two of them. That's what you yeah. have, I yeah. think. Yeah, so if you buy the ones that break apart, they're a little, sometimes they're a little cheaper. If you buy the telescopic ones that slide into themselves, mm-hmm. I think that they're a little more solid. Sometimes they're a little more expensive. Right, they are. They also take up they more are. space. And so the, depending right. on how you yeah. want to pack them, it, it that does matter. Yes. And so pack them is important to me because I don't mm-hmm. want a waiting staff all the time. And that's what I used to, to like I, the broomstick, for example, or a ski pole or whatever. And it was always there. And I'm like, I don't want it all the time. 
There's so many, like half the time out there, I don't need the waiting staff. So I collapse it or retract it. And I, I put it at the small of my back. You could find your own way of doing it. And when I extend it, then it's right there, like Josh said, on my left hip, because I'm left-handed and I'm casting with my right. And so I can be casting and walking and wading. Because and you're right-handed, right? Because I'm right-handed. And yeah. then I, I'm not even thinking, thinking about the waiting staff. And then all of a sudden I start to trip and I can just reach back there. Bang. I know right where it is. It's always in the exact same spot because the gear keeper, the retractor, has brought it there. It's always right there. Anyway, it stays out of your way. It's very light. It's packable. They're solid and too. They are very solid. Like I've, it's, I've a third, it's a third leg. I've definitely had instances where I'm like, if this That's waiting staff said. was not solid, get out of here. Whoa. You get out of here. <laughs> you get out of here. I've definitely had instances where if the waiting here. staff was not solid, I would yeah. go over. Many, I yeah. mean, many times. Like there's yeah. a lot of, I put, I put all of my balance on that sometimes, you know. Tripod. They're solid. They're, you should use it. I was fortunate enough to to find a Sims waiting staff floating down a river mm-hmm. and picked it up. Luckily, it wasn't attached to a body. Um, but, he accidentally uh, ripped the phone number off it, listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if found, please return to Bill Dolly. That's a five-figure discount. Some guy was fishing. I just walked up behind him and cut it and ran. <laughs> He'll never catch up to you because you're the fastest no. waiter out there. That's right. Hip flexors. And I don't fall in. But uh, I tell you what, that that Sims waiting staff is yeah. really nice. It yeah. is. It's 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 as light, if not maybe lighter than those trekking poles. And the one thing I like about it is I'm taller, and so it it it's higher, yeah. and so it does help. I, I had it and it felt like it was really maybe maybe it's a different model I don't know what they've changed but I had the Sims one and it felt really flexy to me like I really love like I've got like one of the more nicer brands but cheaper models that a, they make it's like a black yeah. diamond trekking pole mm-hmm. that's and, what it is and it's I mean it is so solid and that that Sims one I I know I know the length you're right but if, to me it felt like it flexed a ton it does it does flex some but I don't put like, I don't know, just the, the higher angle I think does make a difference since I'm taller. Yeah. Like just being able that higher angle just seems to help me maneuver better. They make like different lengths of those extendable ones mm-hmm. too. I would say like the, the, the staff itself, I think can absolutely be a personal choice, but I feel like what are almost the deal breakers to me and the, the inarguable things you want a retractor that brings it all the way back to your to your hip, yeah. to your belt every time. And it, the the staff needs to be light enough for that to be able to happen with the retractor that you have. And for me, I want it to be packable because I don't want it to be a fixed length that it can't be broken down. I Because I don't want to, when I'm walking out, I don't want it. I don't want it dragging. I got to hate that. Just, I, <laughs> you ever been walking out with somebody and their staff's just dragging behind them the whole time? <laughs> I'm like, no. Can you hold that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the other thing, it just gets in your way. If you don't have a way to pack it or just to have it at least retracted to your hip, then it's very much in your way. And it's going to, that's why people don't like waiting staff. Worse than that. Because of the inefficiency of it. Yeah. So for so many years, I thought like, oh, I don't need that. I'll I'll do that when I'm older. You know, when I'm I'm an old guy, I'll need a staff. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. 
the staff gives anyone just that, that I can wade faster because I have the staff. That's the thing for me. I can wade faster. I'm more efficient. I'll get into water that I couldn't get into before. I'm surprised I did it for that many years without a staff. Because as soon as I started using one, because of you, Matt, I was like, this is, this is awesome. This is gold. And it, that's it. I mean, why not have it if you rig it the way we're talking about? Well, and it gives you the more confidence that we're talking about, right? I mean, it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's an integral piece with. of gear right. that'll help you build confidence, maybe waiting that more aggressive line, yeah. you know, and, and put you on more fish, right? And, yeah. and, and it's a security Seriously. blanket and it's a productive one. Seriously. Catching more fish. How many pieces of gear do we talk about? You know, sometimes fly rods and fly lines and leaders and stuff and tippet size and whatever. And we're like, well, I don't know if it actually catch you more fish, but you know, this is what I like. And that, what you just said there, my mm, waiting staff yeah. catches me more fish by the end of yeah. the day. Go to Amazon and get one for the cheap ones for 15 to $20 and Seriously. it'll catch you more fish. It'll be the best investment you make. Quite seriously, that's true. There you have it. Um, I had a lot of back problems, I don't know, five, six years ago. Yeah. And so I started using it because of that. Yeah. Because just with that extra, you know, point of, you know, keeping more balance, yeah. I, I, you don't slip and jar your back as much mm-hmm. with that, whether it's a waiting staff, a trekking pole, whatever you want to use. If you have a bad back, it's like it should be number one on your list of things to own. Yeah. I'm serious. I don't care the age of the angler. <laughs> yeah. And it, we've talked about this a couple of times, different ages and experience levels. When I was going to school at Penn State, my buddy Sam came out with me. He he had very limited river fishing experience. I will always remember he was out there and he looked like a baby deer. <laughs> he did. He, was, he had bought hip waders the day before, so he had no traction. And he had almost no waiting experience. Sam was in good shape. He's like, you know, strong, built well. And I was just making fun of him all day because <laughs> he was so shaky on his two legs. And I kept yelling over to him, like you, Matt, like, what do you think's going to happen? Like, if you fall, you're going to get wet. Who cares? <laughs> like, you're shaking, you're leaning back and forth. You're so scared. Like, who cares? Just, just go upstream. But that's it. It's the inexperience. Sam could have definitely benefited from better boot soles, uh, a waiting staff, probably some polarized lenses, uh, definitely some grip studs or some kind of yeah. studs on the bottom of the boots, and then experience. You know, sure. throw yourself in a river and see what happens. Be a little more bold. Listening to you say that, Don, made me think back to a time where I had same situation, a buddy across the river, and I like your like the baby deer, right? That's what he looked like. My buddy looked like a baby deer, but he also looked like 50 yards downstream was going to be like an Amazon waterfall. He's afraid of he was going to the abyss. I was like, but like, it's actually shallower downstream. (laughs) Like, even if you fall, you might just sit there. Like, you might not even float because it's so shallow. (laughs) But he acted like there was a 100-foot waterfall, you know, right down from him. And it's just, it's comical to see. So those are the places to learn, the places where it is mm-hmm. only knee-deep. Yeah. Nothing bad is really going to happen. I mean, it's not. If you fall, get up. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think that's the things we're covering there are, those are the tips. Those are the, sure. those are the things that are going to put you in, in better water, in better situations, and you will. You'll be one step ahead of the next guy that pulls in the same parking lot. Yeah, and I think to bring it even full more full circle, we've, we had a uh, episode – 
maybe it was last year, just about learning your river, right? I don't think you're yeah. able to fully learn your river without mm. being an accomplished waiter. I think yeah. that truly adds to the chapter of, of your, your river. You need that chapter, right? You need that chapter of good waiting to fully understand all mm. the secrets it has. Ooh, that's good. I like that. It's good. Yes, sir. Anything else, guys? I would just say, like, if I'm waiting and I know I'm going to move through some fast currents, the first thing I'm looking for is a big rock because often behind that big rock is some gravel or at least at least I'm getting a break from the current behind He's that softer big rock. softer water, yeah. From rock to rock or from bank seam to bank seam, whatever it is. Yep. Yeah. From weightable water to weightable water or from easier water, the break. Yeah, because that, that's where the fish sit. What you just said, Matt, too. I mean, we learn like, oh, I can stand here. Oh, the fish probably sat here too. <laughs> you know? And you yeah. do. You you wade in. Dude, I remember just last week wading into a piece of water. It's it's all gotten changed on the right channel. It's all changed. There's some big trees that just got washed in and the gravel bars are all different. And I hung up and I'm like, mm, I'm gonna go get that. And I knew I was going to be basically pushing the top of my waders, but it wasn't real fast. I'm like, I'm going to go get it because I really want to see how deep that is. And I learned a lot by walking over, by waiting over there. I learned a lot about that. And I'm excited to go back because I know where those fish are going to be. Yep. Learn your river by waiting it. And it's not going to happen in one day. Good point. You're not going to go out there in one day if you fish 10 times a year it's still going to be a struggle. Like if you want to get good at it, you have to practice. It's like anything else, you know, we're talking from experience of, you know, 180, 50, hundred plus days a year on a river over decades. You know, we we're kind of coming at it from the, the higher end of the confidence perspective. And sure. so if you, you know, if you want to catch more fish, spend the time on the river to at least get more comfortable waiting. It's another one of those things in fly fishing where there are really no shortcuts. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. You got to earn it. Except air squats. Air squats. Body weight squats. I'll, I'll point this out. Matt, do you remember when you told me that you get up every morning and do push-ups and <laughs> yeah. squats or whatever? You said, so I can go wade the rivers. So I know I can that's wade right. the rivers. M- more core these days. But I think that's my – Bill was talking about back issues. I had back issues – yeah, you know, along too. with uh, having a strong core is really, really beneficial uh, yeah. for the old back when you're when you're waiting aggressive. And Dom, I think you alluded to it at the beginning. I mean, there's no question that that prohibits a lot of people from getting after. Oh, sure, straight up physical have. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, I feel like you can overcome almost all of that. By doing the things we're talking about, good boots, good studs, yep. yeah. polarized lenses, waiting staff, finding finding the the seams and the breaks and making a plan and not trying to do too much, but being disciplined. That's why I talked about Joe in the beginning. I'm serious. The guy was 87 years old, one of the best waiters and fishermen that I've ever seen. I was like, he amazed me. He mm-hmm. really did. He was there with his buddy and his buddy was in his 50s and Joe was remarkably better at yeah. fishing because he was so much better at waiting. That's that's what it came down to. It was not, the, the conditions were not easy. When Joe waited up there, Joe started fishing while I'm 
getting his buddy's rig ready or whatever. And Joe's like, well, what about that spot? I'm like, that's nice up there. But, you know, hey, get, get swift up there. Be careful. Because I'm thinking, like, the guy looks older. And no, he's, Joe goes right up there. And he just caught a couple fish right away while I'm still tying knots for his buddy. And I'm thinking, and I just watched him do it all day. It was remarkable. And it always sticks with me. I've brought that guy up many times. I've just, I've mentioned him to people who will tell me, well, I got a hip problem or a knee problem. I'm like, oh, I understand, but you can do it. Don't, don't let right. yourself believe that you can't do it. I feel like too, it's, that's a stubbornness that I plan to have when I get older. I never want to give myself that out and say yeah. like, well, I'm 75 now. I, I guess my fishing days are done. I can't, I, I won't be able to do it. You can do it. Like you can do it. I don't care if it's your first day fishing and you're 20 years old or it's your first day fishing and you're 75 years old. Right. You can do it. You can do it. Sure. Don't, don't make the excuses. You, the reason it is difficult is not because of your age or your medical issues. It's difficult because it's new Mental, to mentally. you. It, sure. Mentally. Well said. The lack of confidence because it's new to you. Trust us. You can do it. And it's things hurt. Like at the end of the day, yeah. like I fished a lot yeah. of water today. Like yeah. my back's sore, my legs are sore. Yeah. The but grind. the more I, the, the more. And hell, I, you're only 25 years old, Bill. That's right. Yeah. 25. Just turned 25. Younger than me. The grind but, got you. But. Um, <laughs> he was grinding. The more you're out there, I do think there's something to the, like you're, you're kind of conditioning your legs. Like you can, oh, yeah. you can do squats, you can do all this stuff in the gym, but when you go out to the river, it's, it's working a whole different oh, muscle yeah. set. Stabilization sure. muscles that do not, that you cannot work outside yeah. of wading through a river. And when all else fails, crack broken heels and you'll feel <laughs> much better at the end of the day. This episode <laughs> sponsored true. by. <laughs> Yeah, it's that river weariness we've talked about. I love that feeling like, oh, I put on some extra miles yeah. today. Yeah. All right, there it is. Good waiting skills are up to you. If you're shaky out there, then it really does take a commitment to change a few things and develop an approach. It takes planning and follow through. Good waiting might also require a few gear tweaks. We've all gone through it and we've learned what the right boots boot studs, and a waiting staff can do for the fishing. We've learned to read the water not just for the fishing opportunities, but to plan a path through the river that leads into prime lies with efficiency and minimal effort. Unless we're in a drift boat, then good waiting may very well be more important than good casting or the right fly selection. So wade better, fish harder, and have more fun out there. All right, Josh, will you read us out? Heck yeah. All right, remember, the Trout Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles, hey now, with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of its categories and tags, too. Be sure and find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel currently featuring the Trout Bitten Tips series in collaboration with Wilds Media, hey now. These are short, useful, and unique tips for your fly fishing life. Thank you for listening to Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment because that really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.
That's nuts, Bill. All right. It'll make you a good waiter, whether you want to or not. A little danger is good for you. Don't question Surefoot Billy. All right, so Bill fishes a lot, doesn't fall in, and we'll hear his secrets in a minute. Bill Dell off the podcast. No one ever heard from him again. Whatever. This guy. Hockey fight. I'll come and get you. She found out the last year and a half. Why the hell is dad in the closet? I found him. She's like, Where did, why does dad always run errands? Come on, Slooper. You're all right. You're all right. Get back in there, bud. Come on. I'm doing it wrong. Look, there's a lot of pounders over on that bank, and I want to get them. <laughs> 